I'm Scott. Um, I've moved here five years and four months ago or something, but who's counting? Um, my family and I, we love it. I'm married to Stephanie, who's a public high school teacher. I've got three kids. Um, Macy's going to ninth grade. Lincoln's going into seventh grade. And Karis is going into fifth grade. Our house is wild. Sports and life is just, it gets us constantly moving. It's hard to be a spiritual person in that. And... Um, Anyway, um, so we moved here. We moved here from Texas. I grew up in Texas. I went to school in Texas, did all of that, families in Texas, and then we moved to Annapolis, Maryland. And so I'm a eight wing seven. So if that makes any sense, you can, that might help you know who I am. Um, so that's me. Um, I am a person who likes to rebuild things. Um, my wife and I, we go to thrift stores. We love thrifting. Besides, it saves us a ton of money. Um, but this, but also as part of that, it, you know, it's part of kind of who I am. Like I like old things and, um, and to reconfigure things and to reimagine and which I think also gives us hope. And so it's part of who I am, part of who my calling is. And um, also my brother, my brother's a pastor in Texas. And his um, history, and he has a PhD on this, so he speaks better to it. But but churches that are heading towards their decline, um, but have found revitalization. And what does what are the common characteristics of churches like that? Um, and so they're in perhaps stagnant growth areas. But what produces growth in a congregation that's you know quote old? And so, I mean, what better place than Heritage Baptist Church for me, right? And so, um, but as part of that, I was here for one week. And I met with uh, Jerry Colbert, who's the pastor of John Wesley United Methodist Church right off of Bay Ridge Avenue over here. Um, and Jerry just told me, and it just has really shaped all of what my work here has been, which is churches are fooling themselves when they think they can do everything by themselves. And especially if you know church in Annapolis, this is especially true. If church in, Anna in the, I'm talking the city of Annapolis, right, the city of Annapolis, we're fooling ourselves if we think we can do it all by ourselves. And so what that pushes us to, I think, is to where we rely on each other, we depend on each other, we support each other, we use each other's gifts. When one of us is on vacation, the other one can preach or whatever. Which, by the way, if you're not following Kenny's Instagram feed on vacation, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Because, I mean, it, it, like the pictures, I'm like, like I've had multiple times when I'm like, filled with jealousy, and I'm like, I want to be there, and so, but I took a vacation to a baseball tournament this week, this summer, so I'm good. Um, anyway, I, so all that said was I did grow up, and I promise we're going to get to Psalm 138. Some of you are like, this guy's Looney Tunes, and uh, <laughs> he's really spiritual. No, uh, so all that said, I did grow up in Houston, and I grew up in a single-parent household, me, my brother, and my mother, uh, my mom divorced my father, and it was the best thing she could have, have done for me and my brother in that time and, and all this. And so we um, lived in, in Houston, kind of Houston proper, if you know Houston at all, and um, Spring Branch area. And um, kind of from rental home to rental home, like townhomes and that sort of stuff. And then, but I remember this one home because it was our last rental home, and it was a home that had a proper yard, and, and it was a bricked house, and um, was, you know, I could walk to schools. It's really a great thing, 
because my mom left before my brother and I went to school, and then she wasn't home until after we had already been back, and so pretty self-sufficient um, guys, and um, and so anyway, we're at this home. I used to play baseball in the backyard, but it's pretty singular events that we did just as a family, but she had been saving, and she'd been working hard, and, and thankfully, she was able to have been educated and collegiate level at the University of Texas, and so she had the proper degrees, but was still a woman in the banking industry, you know, anyway, it was complicated and hard at moments. Saved enough money, and she decided we were going to buy a house, and we are going to move to the suburbs of Northwest Houston, which was just booming at the time, and still really is, and, um, and so we went there, my mom, we actually got to build, you know, kind of a single story, and there's nothing really elaborate, but it was just, but it was ours, it was hers. And, um, and the neighborhood was full of kids. And so, like, you had a basketball goal, and then you had, a, 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 you know, a street. And then we had sidewalks on our street, which we don't always have here. But it was, you know, you play football, two-hand touch on concrete. If you were in the little grass between that and the sidewalk, you could get tackled. And, um, and, and then the sidewalk was out of bounds. You know, just, just all these lovely memories. But I just remember being there one summer, and I just remember being so, so grateful. And it was like the first time in my life that I really felt like gratitude. Like I had known something other and my current situation produced in me something that, that kind of went beyond maybe the language I had at the time as growing up, but I was thankful. I was grateful. I was grateful to be in this place. I was grateful to live in this spot where I could have friends and we could run and we could play. I didn't have to stay inside until my mom got home at whatever, 5.30 or whatever, and then go out. I was able, we were able to do these things, and I was, and I was grateful for that. I, um, um, living in Texas, I had done quite a bit of, of work in various capacities along the Rio Grande Valley area, and I was in a town one time, um, a border town in Mexico called Nuevo Laredo, um, which borders Laredo, and so it's pretty easy to remember that Nuevo Laredo is the Mexico side, and Laredo's the Texas side. Uh, but we were in Nuevo Laredo, and I was walking around with this aid worker, and they took us to this this community, and this community looked more, you know, it's dirt roads, and it looked more like probably what we would consider kind of a homeless encampment. Um, you know, lots of people that had kind of decided this is where we're going to be, but the shelters were not, you know, fortified. There's certainly, you know, anything that could kind of stand up on its own was used. And then on the outside of that were tarps and paper and, you know, all these kind of things. Um, but, but this lady invited us into her home and she had uh, this bed and she had a teenage son and then um, a kitchen, like, you know, it's all like in the same room. And, and the thing, I, you know, I'm in there and I'm 20 something at the time and she just kept talking about how grateful she was. She was saying, I'm so grateful to be in this spot, to be in this place, to have this space. And, you know, my growing up, my experience was like, this place is horrific. I mean, from a sanitary standpoint, poverty standpoint, I mean, it, it did not check many boxes. But for her, she was so, so grateful because the things that she had known in her past and the country she came from, were so extreme that this was so much better. And she was overwhelmed with the spirit of gratitude and in gratefulness. And this is my point. This may be a surprise. I want you to think tonight with me about what does it mean, not just for us, 
but for you to be a person of gratitude. And, and here I was, I'm, maybe I'm fooling myself, in the middle of the pandemic, I'm thinking, when we come out of the pandemic, there's going to be this, just this host of gratitude. I mean, just people are going to be grateful to the checkout workers, they're going to be grateful for the teachers, for the leaders that have to make all these tough calls, the, the school board, people are going to be so grateful. They're going to, the umpires at the baseball games are going to be like, thank you so much. You know, all this stuff. And let me tell you, like, I go to a lot of at least youth sporting events. We are anything but grateful still. If anything, I feel like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my assessment is wrong. It's just my own personal experience here. But it almost feels like people are even more on edge. Like we're almost more quick to ready to bite people's heads off and, you know, rip them apart with our words or maybe internally with our judgment and all this junk. And, and I'm, I'm just, I, I, I've just been thinking about for me, for us, as a as, as the church, capital C Church, um, like what does it mean for us to be people that, that are grateful, that are filled with gratitude? And, and so I began to think and I began to, and I've been um, turning over this text in Psalm 180, or let's see, Psalm 138 a lot. And, and I'm going to read it twice, one from the NIV, which is there's red Bibles in front of you if you like a, a Bible or your phone or whatever. Um, but Psalm 138, and I want to read it from the NIV, and then I also want to read it from the message. Um, because, so what, what has happened here is this is like, it, it's written in the first person. So it's a kind of this, a personal um, expression of thanks to God for salvation and, and for all that God has done. It's a post-exilic Israel. They're kind of in a safe spot. They're, they're, they're kind of, they're at peace, and, um, and they had known something different. And so it's, while it's written in the first person, but, but I think this is interesting, it's also kind of thought of in terms of it's writing as this, it's written in the first person, but from the group. Does that make sense? Like, like and, and, and when, I, when it says I, it kind of meant us. But it's, and I just think that's kind of an interesting way of, of thinking about it. And, and as we read the text, and, um, and so this is what the NIV 138, this is what it says. And it's a psalm of David, attributed to David, that I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart, which that we could keep going on, right? Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. You, meaning, you have done so much more than we could ever imagine that it, that it is beyond even the, the naming of your fame that you are that great and that faithful. For in verse three, when I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. Some of us, maybe that is the word tonight at some level, to be emboldened, to be encouraged, to be confident people. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk 
in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. And so this is, um, in reading this and, and kind of over and over again, and, and then also in study of this, like, like this is, they, they call it a psalm of gratitude. And, and if I'm honest with you, when I, at first glance, when I read through it, I was like, like I'm not, not quite certain where we arrive at all of that, which is why I like also the interpretation of the message, because it, it allows a little bit more freedom to kind of get behind the text in a certain way. But, but this, you know, this belief and the confidence in God's power and the faithfulness in God, not just in the present, but also God's faithfulness in the past, looking at where we were to where we are and being able to stand there in gratitude and to be able to stand there in thanks of who God is and what God has done in our lives and on our behalf. And then verse 4 through 6, God's ability to put the powerful really on their backs. When we think of kings, you know, obviously there's this kind of grand language here, right? That the kings of the earth praise you, Lord. Meaning, like, Lord, you flip it all around. The upside down kingdom of God kind of thing is in, like, this reality of that. That God sometimes turns that which you don't expect on its back and is able to proclaim the glory of the Lord in the midst of that. And so I don't know about you, I don't know about all that goes on in your life, but, but sometimes I just need to be reminded that our God is, is real, that our God is big, and that we can live in that confidence. Now we don't have to be a church that stand on, stands on the back of our heels and kind of constantly backing up, going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, or stand around, and this drives me nuts, um, like, like constantly complaining about all that is in the world and blah, 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 blah. You know what? It is what it is. And um, I speak more freely here because your revolution, and I, um, <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I, I, I don't, I'm an eight, I'm intense. Like, I'm like, I, I don't like complainers, um, which makes pastoring awesome sometimes. And, um, because, let me tell you why, and, and, and it folds into what I believe about the church, is that, y'all, like, people, people don't care that we're Christians in, in, that, in some extent. Like, we have, to, we have to fill the needs that are there. We have to be willing to go. We have to be willing to live into the reality of all that really is. And then guess what begins to happen? Relationships and being able to get opportunity to kind of share our lives in conjunction. And then, and then, and then only do people really, I think, become intrigued by who we are and what we are. And so, um, anyway, I'm, I could go down so many rabbit holes there, and it often leads to swearing and things. So, um, verse 7 through 8 um, is this, this reality in our lives, and this is kind of my point of what I was just saying. The reality is that there is trouble in this world. There's trouble in this world and it hits us, but in the midst of trusting, in the midst of gratitude for all that God has done, we can survive this. That we can survive this. And that the church um, 
living in gratitude, you choosing to live in gratitude, like you can, I, I believe that you can choose that. You can choose it on that day. In the midst of a bunch of whiny, complaining people or whatever, you can choose gratitude, believing that God has not left you, God has not abandoned you into this. And so here's, here's what it says from the message, and I like the message here, and the interpretation says, thank you. Everything in me says thank you. Angels listen as I sing my thanks. I kneel in worship facing your holy temple, and I say it again, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Most holy is your name. Most holy is your word. The moment I called out, you stepped in. You made my life large with strength. When they hear what you have to say, God, all kings of earth will say thank you. They'll sing of what you've done, how great the glory of God. And here's why. God, high above, sees far below. No matter the distance, he knows everything about us. I, when I walk into the thick of trouble, keep me alive in the angry, in the angry turmoil. With one hand, strike my foes. With your other hand, save me. Finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. And I don't know about you, but I love this idea that God knows everything about us. That is enough for me tonight to be a grateful person. That God could know everything about me, like as a person. And that God could still choose to offer love and grace and calling and acceptance. And I choose to be grateful into that moment. And here, here's kind of maybe where I think we need to land tonight is that our gratefulness isn't just rooted in the fact that you have a home or a car or even like a, a, a makeshift tent house where you live. Like our gratefulness can be rooted in something even much deeper than that. And I believe that our, gr our gratefulness can be rooted in the belief that God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe that our lives can be lived in such a way where we can be grateful. It's not just, a, it's not just something we put on, like our clothes or something like that, but it, but it becomes the kind of who we are. And, and maybe I'm the only one here, but I sometimes can get too far ahead of where I'm at right now. I can expect too much from the people around me. I can and be disappointed. I, I can think in one direction and everyone else is going another direction and, and it causes me to be frustrated and angry. Or I could be a person who chooses gratitude and gratefulness for every little thing that's in my life. I, I was listening to this segment on, on ESPN today about Bobby Bowden, who, who died. He's a coach of Florida State, won national championships there for, I don't know, 30 years or something. And, and, he, um, and he's a believer. And, and he, you know, he communicated this on a real regular basis. And he was let go or pushed out, whatever you would say, from Florida State. And so this is, I mean, he had built a dynasty there, a legacy. I mean, he is just... 
uh, was an amazing coach, kind of a figurehead for the school even, and they pushed him out. And they said, even among his exit, he was a person of dignity. And he said, and he looked and they showed this scene, someone, the reporter's trying to get something out of him. This is an old clip, obviously. And he goes, hey, listen, nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. And I, I, I want to live in that. I want to live in the reality of us as human beings to live in the pure parts of who we are as humans. And, and I don't buy the lie that God doesn't want to change you, that you can just always be exactly what you want to be. Like, I believe that God wants to change us into more loving and more kind and more compassionate people. Like, God wants to mold us into people who, who are self-aware to, to recognize our faults, to admit our faults, to, to, to know our limitations and where we have failed and to take um, restorative actions forward. I believe that God wants to change us. I believe that God wants to use us to change our society. And that is a moment, I think, where we can really live into. Because I'm, I, I, maybe I'm just more prone to doubt, but there's oftentimes I'm like, what are we doing what are we doing? Did we get it wrong? And I don't know about you. I mean, I can only say this as the pastor of the church that owns this property. But, like, I, I, I believe that church is um, the next 10 years, uh, which every, if you thought of the church in decades, about every 10 years there's some sort of redefining moment, I think. And, and I think this place um, is, is in it. Like, I'm like, let's push it all in at some level, right? Let's figure it out because there's not time to waste. We can't sit on our heels and kick it down the road and, oh, some other people will deal with it. No, we take responsibility. We take responsibility for our community. We take responsibility for the people that are in our midst and in our lives together. And so this is what I think the local church's job and responsibility is, is to look around and go, who is around us? And let's make a definable difference in it. I've been thinking often about the church in Kabul, Afghanistan. And I believe the church is there. And I believe that they're ministering to people in this moment of chaos that perhaps is just, I mean, I, we know it's just surrounded the entire country of Afghanistan, but there's a church there and they're coming together perhaps secretly and not on a microphone and whispering to each other about the faithfulness of God. And people who are older remembering what it was like before and whispering that God will be faithful to us. Let's stay the course. A church in Ethiopia in the Tigray region that, that is just, I mean, in the midst of a genocide. And people there being able to worship and to remind themselves of the church that existed and that came up from the ground. Even in the midst of, after Italian occupation and, and all this, that the church grew and expanded that, that we can be a church, that we could be a church, a capital C church in this area and in this community that makes real differences in real people and in real lives. And it is hard work, 
But that's the thing, and this is the thing we have to keep reminding ourselves, that hard work often means that it's hard. And so let's not sit around and complain and talk about how all these things could be all different. Let's live in the midst of gratitude. Let's live in the midst of understanding that our salvation is found in God and God alone. And our gratitude can be found in that and in that reality. And this is what we come together as a church, as the Capital C Church, to keep reminding ourselves over and over and over again is that Jesus Christ died, that his body was broken, and that his blood was spilled for us.